We're in our series on spiritual apps. Last week, Susan Garlinker talked about scripture memorization, and uh, that was interesting to hear uh, some of those guys share their stories. And today, I want to talk about something different. And uh, let me just start by saying Stanford University has been giving a test now for decades, uh, an exam, and not giving it to college students. They've actually been giving it to kids uh, kids age four through seven in there, uh, they've been given this exam. It's called the marshmallow test. Uh, what they do is they put a marshmallow on a table in front of the kids and tell them that if they will not eat the marshmallow uh, and uh, if they will hold on when that person leaves the room and when they come back in the room, uh, if they wait for 15 minutes, they'll get a second marshmallow. And uh, the responses by the kids are, are pretty insightful and somewhat humorous. In fact, we've got a little video clip here to show you. About three minutes worth of the marshmallow test in action. Oh, that's a tough test. All right, so here's the deal. We've been talking about spiritual apps, spiritual disciplines. Today we're talking about the fasting app. We're talking about saying no to the marshmallow. And you just can't watch that video without having to take the test yourself. So ushers, come forward. We have marshmallows for all of you. But you can't eat it. We're fasting, okay? You're going to take one marshmallow out of the bag, and you're going to hang on to it. And uh, no, you will not get a second one at the end, all right? Because that's not the point of fasting. This is going to serve as a symbol for us as we talk about this spiritual discipline. A uh, hundred Christians were asked this question, what's the most frustrating spiritual problem that you're dealing with? What frustrates you uh, about uh, your, your walk in faith? And uh, here's the top five answers, sort of family feud style, things that frustrate Christians. Number five on this survey, inconsistent quiet time. You know you want to have a quiet time. You know you want to connect with God. Yet a week goes by and you look back and you realize you haven't done it once. Or maybe you look back and, and it's, uh, it's one or two times and, and you're frustrated. And it's, it's isn't a new problem. This isn't a problem you've been having for a month. In fact, it's a problem you've been having for a year, maybe even longer. And you're frustrated. You want to have a quiet time, yet it just doesn't happen. That was number five on that survey. Number four on the survey is this. Don't sense, we don't sense God's presence. We gather together on the weekend. When I go to church, I sense God's presence. But when I go home, I don't sense God's presence in my home. When I go to work, I don't sense God with me. I have a hard time understanding or sensing that God is, is with me throughout my, my day. It's, it's frustrating, a sense of, of, uh, of, of being alone out there. Number three on the, on the survey uh, was a sense of not measuring up, that there is these, these fears and these anxieties that you've been trying to overcome, but yet you can't overcome them. Or maybe some secret sin, some habitual sin you've given yourself to, that you want victory and you want to overcome it, but for whatever reason, you, you can't. And then you, you talk to your friends and you hear about the victory in their life and how they've overcome areas in their life, and you, you kind of feel the shame and the guilt, and you feel like you don't measure up. And it's very frustrating, and it, it just... It feels like you're just you're, you're missing something, and uh, that was number three on this response to the survey. Number uh, two on the response to the survey was a prayer life that feels cold and empty. I want to pray, but I never get around to praying. Or when I pray, I don't know what words to use. My words just sort of all sound jumbled up. I listen to someone else pray, and it, the, the words just flow so easily, and and the, and they're, 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 they make sense and. My prayer life feels cold and empty. It's very, very frustrating. The number one frustration 
experienced by Christians, things that frustrate them, the number one response in that survey was this. No miracles, no, no answered prayer. I mean, come on, God, just one. Just, just one miracle, one answer to prayer. I mean, the Bible is full of stories of people who have had their prayer answered or they had a miracle that they got to experience. And I'm just looking for one time when God would come through and I'd have my miracle or I'd have my answer uh, to prayer. And, and I keep praying and nothing happens and it's very, very frustrating. Now here's the deal. I, I don't know if any of those resonate with you, but if they do, um, someone might say to you, well, you know, Steve, if you really wanted a consistent quiet time, you could have it. But the reality is, I do want it. And yet it still doesn't happen. What do you do when, when you experience these frustrations and, and, you, and you want something, but it, is, it isn't happening? Uh, and, and in fact, uh, you know, th- that just kind of drives the frustration even deeper uh, in, into our lives. Here, here's the deal. The deal is, is that we have a hunger problem. All right? We have a hunger problem. It's not a hunger problem that, uh, that people around the world in other countries uh, think of when they think about a hunger problem. I mean, there are some people today in our world who are wondering where their next meal is going to come from. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us in the U.S. are not wondering if we're going to eat today. For, for a, a large section of the world, that part in the Lord's Prayer that says, give us this day our daily bread, is a very, very relevant prayer. Because they're wondering if they're going to eat. And yet, if you think about it, for much of, of the U.S., this is a very irrelevant prayer. Like, I, I've got more than a day's worth of food. I, I know I'll be fine for a very long time. Yet... What I'm telling you is that we have a hunger problem. It's not a will I eat today hunger problem. It's a hunger problem as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because here's the deal. We have very little hunger for God. We have little hunger for God. In proportion to who he is. In his supremacy. In his majesty. In his eternal nature. We have very little hunger for God. Wilbur Reese wrote a poem back in 1971. Uh, It's called Three Dollars Worth of God. Listen to the words. Reese writes, I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a, a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me want to love a black man or pick beets with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack, please. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. The reality in our lives, in our culture, is that that. God has oftentimes become a part of our lives. We have so many appetites that compete 
for our attention. So many things that they're not wicked or evil in and of themselves, but so many things that call out to us and say, eat me, buy me, spend time with me. And what happens is, is that the hunger that, that should be reserved for God that truly provides contentment and fulfillment gets, gets pilfered and robbed because we, we satisfy our appetites by saying yes to the marshmallow. And so what happens is we end up perpetuating this idea that we, we just get a little bit of God. And then, and then you know, I can just kind of add them to my life, and the reality is, is that, that we have a hunger problem, and that, that appetite that gets, gets divided up in all these areas ends up shrinking our hearts and our hunger for God. Jesus is giving a, a sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he says these words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are those, or, or blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will, be fulfilled. they will be filled. They will be fulfilled. They will be satisfied. They won't be hungry anymore. They'll find contentment. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to suggest to you that we have a, a hunger problem, and, um, and this hunger problem, what it does, it actually, as we say yes to so many things, as we say yes to the marshmallow, it actually enslaves us and leads us to a place that we become so filled with other stuff that we would actually say to God, I don't need you. In fact, we might even mock God or mock the idea of God. And this is not a 2012 problem. This goes back through all of history. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 15. The people of Israel have been coming through the wilderness, but they did not eat marshmallows. They ate manna day after day. All right, That's what they had. And then they, they're getting to the good land. And then uh, we read here in Deuteronomy, but Israel soon became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy, plump, and stuffed. Then they abandoned the God who had made them. They made light of the rock of their salvation. you got to see this. They were so dependent upon God in the wilderness. But then they, they got fat, they, they got uh, unruly, they got heavy and plump and stuffed. And look what happens. They abandon God and they make light of God. This is not a 2012 American problem. This is a human condition. It goes back in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 3, you can read about a church called Laodicea that Jesus confronts. They say that we're wealthy, we have everything we need, and Jesus says, no, actually, you're blind, you're naked, you're poor, you need to return to me. What happens is, is when we <clears throat> say yes to all the things that, that, uh, that master us, uh, that, that we have appetites for, what ends up happening is it, 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 it shrinks our hunger for God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, I will not be mastered by anything. Now think about it for a moment. What is it that you just can't do without? I mean, there's some things you can say, yeah, I could say no to that. I could say no to this. But what is it that you just say, man, I can say no to a lot of things, but I just can't do without this. What's, what's your marshmallow? And I want to suggest to you that, that this, this hunger for God that's being impeded or shrunk, that, that it, it oftentimes will enslave us and it masters us 
And it leads us to this place where we have very little hunger. We're very frustrated in our spiritual lives because we're saying yes to too many things. And God is calling us and he wants us to hunger and thirst for him because that's when we will be fulfilled. That's when we'll experience spiritual contentment. So the way that we can do this is through this spiritual app called fasting. And I want to talk to you about this today. Richard Foster, writing on this very subject, uh, said these things. He said, our human desires are like rivers. He's going to use the metaphor of a river here. Our human desires are like rivers that tend to overflow their banks. Fasting brings the river under control and forces it to flow within its proper boundaries. If that control is never gained... The enslavement to desire can devastate us, our health, our life, and our testimony. Our desires are like rivers. And what Foster is saying is that if we don't build up the banks, that desire kind of gets to flood stage and it overflows the banks and causes all kinds of destruction. So one of the ways that we build up the banks is if you want to say no to something, you can say no to something over here, and it will empower you then to build those banks and perhaps say no over here as well. Fasting is one way to build up the banks of that river of desire. And today I, just, I want to talk to you about the fasting from food. Now I realize that there are a lot of ways that you can fast. I mean, I hear about people fasting from TV. That, that's a good idea. Fasting from media or fasting from the use of their uh, phone or you know, what, what, fasting kids, fasting from video games. Um, I, I've heard all those kind of different fasts. Those are all good fasts. But I want to talk to you about fasting from food. And here's why. Uh, number one is it's all through the pages of Scripture. And, and number two is that we in, in Oregon are a fiercely pioneering independent people. In fact, we, I mean, we live in a nation that, that values freedom and independence. We celebrate independence. And what happens is, is that we can get to a point where we live such independent lives where we don't need others and we eventually come to a point perhaps where we say, well, I don't need God very much. When you fast from food, what you discover very quickly is how dependent you are on a simple meal. I mean, try going seven days without food and see if you don't discover how dependent you are on a hamburger or a slice of pizza or something more healthy than that. We, are, we believe we're independent, but fasting from food will show us very quickly how dependent we are. Hudson Taylor had to say this about fasting from food. He said, Perhaps the greatest hindrance to our work is our own imagined strength. And in fasting, we learn what poor, weak creatures we are, dependent on a meal of meat for the little strength which we are so apt to lean upon. So when there's all kinds of fasts. You can fast from all sorts of things. I want to talk to you about fasting from food because it's a way to remind us that we are indeed a dependent people. We're dependent upon God to supply that daily bread for us. And fasting from food is a way to help us have a correct understanding of who we really are. So here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about different kinds of fasts. I want to talk to you about when to fast. And just give some practical ways that this can happen. Practical ways that you can say no to the marshmallow and, and, and set it aside so that you can build up those banks on the riverbank 
so that you can, you can check desire and, and cause your hunger for God to be ignited, because that's what happens. When we discover we have little hunger for God, that we're mastered by that hunger, the fasting app, what it actually does is it will ignite. It will ignite or reignite a new hunger for God. It's one of the powerful things about this discipline, this fasting app. So quickly, here are some different kinds of fasts, and we'll look at some of them through the, through the eyes of Scripture so that you can see some examples of it. The first one's a normal fast. Uh, this one is a fast where it's typically one day, and uh, many people will do a normal fast where you don't eat anything but you drink water. And the timing of it can be uh, from sunset to sunset. So for example, tonight at sunset, if you were doing a normal fast, what you could do is you stop eating uh, right before sunset, uh, and then the sun goes down and you drink water and then you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and you've already got 10 hours under your belt. All right? And you wake up and, uh, and um, you, you don't have breakfast, you don't have lunch, and you wait for the sun to go down and after the sun sets, then you, then you have a, a meal or eat something light after, after that time. That's an example of a normal fast. Um, it's a sunset to sunset fast. Or you might do a, a, a normal fast during the day. You wake up in the morning, on Monday morning, you decide to fast, you're drinking some water, you don't eat during the day, you go to bed that night drinking more water, you wake up in the morning and on Tuesday morning and you break fast. You have breakfast, that's where the word comes from. All right, you break the fast. That's just, that's a normal fast. Um, and if you've never fasted, um, you know, you might want to start with maybe a meal, skip lunch. Or maybe you want to try a full day. That would be a, a, a way to ignite a hunger for God, just through that, that normal fast. The next one's a partial fast. And uh, you'll see examples of this in Scripture. And by the way, what I want to do with you is share some examples from my own life, because for whatever reason, this has been a discipline that God's called uh, Trina and I to. Um, I will not say that I'm great at it, um, but it, for whatever reason, it's just something that we've practiced over the years. So as I talk about some of these fasts, I just want to give you some examples from our life, because... Um, with fasting, what we're doing here is, is uh, we're not trying to impress God, okay? That's true of all these spiritual laughs. We're not trying to prove ourselves to God and say, God, God, you know, grant me favor because, you know, I, I, I need something. It's not some way of trying to get something we want. It, it's, it's a way of expressing desire for him. And I just want to share some, some examples from my own life. So this partial fast in, uh, in Daniel chapter 10 uh, you'll see an example of this because Daniel was on a, on a fast for three weeks. In fact, this fast is often referred to as the Daniel fast. Uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 3, it says, All that time I had eaten no rich food. Now what he's speaking about here is that he just had a vision. And by the way, when you're fasting, one of the side effects is you're, you'll find that your ears are being tuned to what the Spirit is saying. If you struggle in hearing from God... Fasting might be an app for you to, uh, to help tune your ears to the Spirit's voice. That was the case with Daniel. Uh, he, he's fasting. He has a vision. He says, all that time I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips. So he's eating no meat. He's drinking no wine, no rich food. And I used no fragrant lotions until three weeks have passed. No deodorant for three weeks. Never done that one, but apparently Daniel did. Okay. So when I, when I was doing this fast one time, I just asked myself the question. I didn't want to get legalistic about it. I just asked myself the question, what is rich food to Steve Fowler? What is, what is something I really, I really like? And I just made the decision that, okay, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat this. 
I'm going to stick with the things that I think are pretty uh, basic. Maybe things, foods that in, in other nations are, are just a you know, run-of-the-milk kind of meal, and that, that's what I did, no rich food. If you were to do a Daniel fast, I'd encourage you to ask the same question. What's a, what's, you know, what's a rich food? Might be dessert, might be other stuff that you would just set aside. Um, and that would be an example of a partial fast. Ezekiel chapter 4 is another example of a partial fast. This was actually the very first fast I went on. Um, I was praying and sensing that God was asking me to, to fast. I had never fasted before, and I'll be honest with you. I like my marshmallows, all right? I like food. I like all kinds of food. And um, fasting is one of those concepts that I'm not attracted to. Um, yet God, I sense, was, was saying, I want you to fast. He led me to Ezekiel 4, and I read these words as God speaks to Ezekiel. He says, uh, now lie on your left side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. You are to bear the sins for the number of days you lie there on your side. I am requiring you to bear Israel's sins for 390, uh, 390 days, one day for each year of their sin. After that, turn over and lie on your right side for 40 days, one day for each year of Judah's sin. Now, I was reading that, and I thought to myself, well, God surely couldn't be calling me to fast for 390 days. I'll go with the 40. Sounds a little bit better. So I, I did that one, but the realization was I, 40 days, is a, that's a long time. And then I read the next verse, or actually verse 8. God says to Ezekiel, I will tie you up with ropes so you won't be able to turn from side to side until the days of your siege have been completed. And in verse 9 and following, it talks about the different kind of food Ezekiel could eat. And mostly it's, it's bread and water. So literally what I did is I just began praying and saying, God, there's no way I can do a fast like this. But what I'm going to ask you is tie me up. Tie me up with ropes. Make it so that I, these appetites for all these other things would be minimalized, that they'd be, they'd be small, and that I would be able to do this thing I believe you're calling me to. And so I engaged in it. I remember sitting at the table with my kids, and, and Trina was there, and they'd be eating spaghetti and dessert and ice cream and all this good stuff. And I had a lousy roll and a glass of water. And, um, and yet, you know, day after day, I just kept doing that. And um, here, here, by the way, I didn't know it, but I re realized later it was impacting my kids. Um, in fact, it, it, just a sort of a side effect of practicing a discipline like this in, in your family is... Um, your kids watch you, and they see how you're pursuing God. Just last week, one of my kids called me and said, Dad, I'm fasting this next week because I want to I just be able to tune my ears in to hear what God has for me this next season of my life. And I, I think it has to do with just with this practice, that, this discipline that, that Trina and I practiced in, in our home. Um, the Ezekiel fast is, is a rather long fast, but I will tell you this. When I got to day 30 and day 40, I didn't want to stop. It was spiritually exhilarating. I never felt so, so close. I never heard so clearly from God. And again, I'm not saying that to impress you. I'm just saying that this is one of the things that happens when we engage in this, this app because we have a hunger problem and this hunger for so many things, whatever our marshmallows are in this world, they minimize our hunger that should be intended for God. And when we fast, we're saying no to those things so a new hunger for God can be ignited. So that's an example of a partial fast. One more example of a partial fast might be uh, a, a, a one day a week you're, you're going to fast in some way or another. Or one of the things that Trina and I have done is that we've decided that, that you know, the first Monday of each month, 
that we would fast for the church. And so, you know, 12 times a year, we just fast on a Monday and we, and we, we fast and pray for the church. Uh, that, that's another partial fast. Just building this routine, this rhythm uh, of fasting uh, through, uh, throughout, the, throughout the year. So that's, that's some partial fast. So you got normal fast, partial fast. Next one you have up here is the absolute or total fast. You'll see this in, in Esther chapter 4, uh, verse 12, where the, the Jewish people are, are going to be wiped out by Haman, and she needs to appear before the king. And so she tells the Jewish people, as well as uh, herself, she's going to do an absolute fast, no food, uh, no water for three days. And let me just tell you this, that you know some of these fasts, you probably should talk to somebody, maybe a doctor or a nurse or somebody, just to make sure that uh, you know physically uh, this is, uh, well, you know, there, there's always this apprehension to fasting, but... Um, you know, an absolute fast is a pretty radical fast. I've never done one. I've never done, I've never done a, a total fast like that. So that's at three fasts. The next one up here that I want to show you is a corporate fast. This is when you do a fast uh, together with, with others, meaning your family, your community, or uh, a, a church. And we've done this together as a church. Your leaders, when we were thinking about building on Broadway Commons, uh, we did a 40-day corporate fast. And we did a little, a little twist on it. We each took one day of the 40 and kind of when we, we did our, whatever fast we were doing on that particular day, we would end the day, call the next person, because they had the next day, and remind them that they were fasting, and, and we prayed for them. And together, we collectively did 40 days, uh, a corporate fast. As a church, we've done that in the past, where we've, had, we've signed up for, uh, for 40 days of fasting and, and each taking a day. Um, and actually, a, an entire nation has done this. 1756, England was threatened by France, and the leaders in England called a corporate fast. Uh, that, that The whole nation did not eat. Uh, they prayed. Uh, John Wesley writes about this uh, fast because uh, he was there in England during that time. And he says, the fast day was a glorious day as London has never seen. Every church in London was full. Solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God hears prayer and there will be yet a lengthening of our peace. Imagine a nation, an entire nation, fasting for a day for, for peace uh, for their country. That, that actually has happened in, in, in history. So there's some different kinds of fasting from food, because uh, that's what we're talking about here, to remind us how dependent we are on God and to ignite a hunger uh, for him. Here's some ideas of when to fast. We're taken again from Scripture. When should I fast? One of the, one of the ways that uh, you'll discover is that you can fast is when, when you're grieving. When you've experienced loss, uh, when you're hurting, fasting is an appropriate response. David fasted for a day when his best friend Jonathan and King Saul were killed in battle. He expressed his grief and sorrow by fasting. So maybe you find yourself in grief, and that would be uh, an appropriate response to fast in one way or another. The second one is to express sorrow for sin. Or to repent. Joel chapter 2, verse 12, God says to his people, return to me with weeping and fasting. Perhaps you, you feel like you, you've, you've messed up and you just want to express sorrow to God uh, and, and so you, you fast because you want to repent. You don't want to go down that path again. That'd be another time of when you could, you could fast. A third time you could fast would be when you need divine intervention. You're at a crossroads. There's a big decision to make or you have a large need uh, divine intervention. Again, this is Esther. Her people are being threatened. So she calls a fast because they need God to intervene. Uh, fourth uh, time when you could fast, when you want to hear from God. The church in Antioch, 
uh, was in a season of prayer and fasting. And it's that, that's when they heard the Holy Spirit say, set apart from me Paul and Barnabas. So if you, want, if you want to tune your ears to God, and maybe you struggle in hearing God, do a fast. You, you might discover that, um, that y- your hearing uh, improves. You can hear God clearer. So here, and here's a, here's a fifth one, one you need a personal breakthrough. Now here's an interesting example. David's son, his son that Bathsheba bore to him after he had committed adultery with her, was struck with an illness, and David went on a fast, begging God to spare the child's life. So he goes on this fast for, he, he, he wants a personal breakthrough. The child dies. So what we need to remember here is that fasting is not, well, if I say no to my marshmallow, I will get a second one. If I say no to this, then I'll get what I want. Folks, that's not, that's not the point of fasting. These, these apps are all about taking us to Jesus. It isn't about manipulating God. It's about a, a heart that's saying, God, I trust you, but here's what I, I desire, and I, I, I serve. your will, your way. We sang that. Do you believe it? My greatest joy, your will, your way. David fasted. And yet his son was, was taken from us. And there's other stories where people fast and God does come through. But don't see it as a formula. See it as a form and how we can approach God. So that, that's, that's uh, here's one more. We got one last one here. When I want the, the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through me. Remember the story in the Gospels where the disciples are trying to cast out this demon from this, uh, this boy. Dad is, is stressed out. The, the boy is foaming at the mouth, he's having seizures, and the disciples can't cast out this evil spirit. Jesus comes down the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, long story short, casts out the demon. The disciples ask later, uh, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. Meaning, this kind comes out through regular communion with God and through this discipline of fasting and through these disciplines of, of prayer and fasting, it appears that the power of God uh, can flow through us uh, more freely. And we see that example from that story in, in the gospel. So if you want to position yourself in a place where you're in close relationship with God so that the Holy Spirit can flow through you more freely, uh, fasting would be a wonderful app, a wonderful discipline for you to, to build into your routine and your relationship uh, with Christ. And all of this, we're doing this because we want to say no to these frivolous things, as sweet as they are, as wonderful as they are, these things that have the tendency that they're not evil, they're not wicked, but they end up doing is they end up squelching our hunger. And then what happens is we give ourselves so much to them that they actually control us and they impede our relationship with Christ. And so we say no to the marshmallows of our lives so that then we can ignite or reignite a hunger for God. Now let me just, just close by telling you this, um, this final story. When our kids were much younger, um, when, uh, when Trina and I were younger parents, we had come to the conclusion that there were certain words that we didn't want our kids to say. Um, they, they weren't swear words, they weren't filthy words, uh, anything like that. They just were words that just didn't sound appropriate coming out of the mouth of a four-year-old or a six-year-old. 
So we made it real clear to our kids, here's words we don't say in the Fowler house. One of those words was the word but. All right? If you fell backwards, you fell on your bottom. You didn't fall on your butt. We didn't want our kids saying that. All right? And so when they, when they would say it, we'd call them out on it. Now one day, we're driving up a logging road, and uh, I see a herd of elk. And uh, we, stopped, we stopped the car, and uh, I'm pointing out the herd of elk to the kids. And they're looking, and they can't see the elk. And I've said, they're right over there. You can see their horns. You can see the antlers. And look, and I'm pointing that right behind that tree. You can see the shape of the elk. And, and they're looking, and they can't see. And, and, and I know that these animals are probably going to move fairly quickly. And so, no, right over there. And I say, right over you can see their tan butts. And the moment I said it, it all broke loose in the car, okay? Because we don't care about the elk anymore. We're, we're upset because Dad said the word. He said the word we don't speak of. The, the taboo word that we're not supposed to utter. I want to suggest to you that our culture, our society, has a taboo word. It's the word no. Our culture, our society, our world believes that the word no should never be spoken. It is a taboo word. It's, it's something we do not speak of because we have this idea that every desire should be fulfilled. That we should say yes to it all because it's, it's all good for us. And I'll be psychologically or physically impaired if I say the dreaded word that we don't say. No. So I say yes to all these relationships. I say yes to all these purchases. I say yes to all these, these other things because why would you say no? That's ridiculous. And underneath it all is this belief. Just put it on the phrase up here on the screen for us. This false belief that if I forego any pleasures, I will be diminished as a person. Church, that is the mantra of our society. If I forego any pleasures, I will be diminished as a person. Some of you in this room are facing temptation, and it's this, well, there's pleasure involved. Of course there is. But just because there's pleasures involved doesn't mean that it's good for you. But our culture teaches that if you forego them, you will be diminished. But here's the reality. When we say no to the marshmallow, the exact opposite happens. You're not diminished as a person. Actually what happens is you find a new strength, spiritual strength. It's not about performing for God. Something supernatural begins to take place. That hunger, those frustrations that we talked about early on, through the use of a simple discipline like fasting that builds up the riverbanks, allows desires to flow in the natural course they should flow, but ignites a new hunger for God. And we hear from him and he flows through us. We draw near to him, and he draws near to us. Simply, when we say no to silly things like this that are all so powerful.